3: The Mark Reardon Show. There's no big energy coming out of the Democratic Party.
0: <laughs> Shop, disgust, happiness, sweat, a little bit of lust, baby. It's go
3: time time. It's go, no go, lock and load, love them and leave them, smoke them if you got them, see you when I see it, because it's time for Mark Reardon time. This is The Mark Reardon Show.
1: Hey, happy Martin Luther King Day, everybody. Hope your day is going well. A lot of people have a day off today. Like Annie was saying earlier, it is a ghost town in this building, man. Kyle is sitting in with me today. Do you have your mic on? I should have asked you that beforehand. So there you go. Uh, So we don't have any traffic. Uh, Fred's not here. Mark's not here. Uh, Kyle and I are just holding the the wheels on this bus, man, trying to make it go round and round. It's Iowa caucus day, as you know. Uh, Finally. Finally, we are actually at election season. We've been talking about this; it feels like forever. And all the candidates obviously are in Iowa. Finally, we're going to get some news about what's going to happen. And if you didn't hear Brad talk about it earlier today, there is all kinds of coverage that we're going to have. Six o'clock tonight, we've got a one-hour caucus preview show uh, with Brett Baer, Martha McCallum, Dana Perino that are all going to be on there. And then at seven o'clock is when the caucuses actually start. And if you've never been a part of a caucus, which I haven't uh it looks to be just really fun in a strange way how's that if you're a if you're a political person. You've been waiting for this day for a while because everybody keeps waxing poetic about who's going to happen, right? Every political pundit has been on Fox News all day long today and CNN and everything else. I was flipping channels earlier today just to kind of hear what's everybody saying, right? Where, where are you going to go? Who's going to win? And when you have a 37 below windchill factor, you really don't know. Like, you don't know who's going to come out. It was interesting when I heard folks talking about it before that said, uh, it's not just your your normal folks who are going to come out. Normal folks, I mean healthy, right? So uh, anybody who's kind of their mid-20s up to around 60-ish, maybe a little more, right? But when you start getting up even more, then families start saying, I don't want grandma and grandpa going out in this, right? The weather's bad. Snowdrifts uh, snow drifts happen a lot. The wind is really bad. So they don't know who's actually going to be able to show up. So it's going to be exciting to see. Um, I, I really am curious to see how the down ballot goes. We have a pretty good idea that we think, if you just go by the polls, that Trump is going to win this. Right? It just seems that way. Governor Reynolds has uh, endorsed DeSantis. And... Uh, I'm curious to see where he's going to come. If he doesn't finish his number two, I think he's done. I just don't see a pathway forward for him anyway. But if he doesn't win two with uh, Governor Reynolds' endorsement, with all the ground game that the DeSantis campaign seems to have in Iowa, if they don't get it done in Iowa, they're definitely not going to get it done in New Hampshire And then you're going to go face, you know, assuming that Nikki Haley stays in the race, because I don't think she's planning on doing that well in Iowa. I think she's planning on New Hampshire and then New Hampshire gives her the bridge to get to South Carolina. That's where I think she makes her stand. I mean, she was the governor, right? So if she doesn't do well in South Carolina, she's for sure done. And hopefully by the time we're done in South Carolina, we've got our candidate. I mean, does anybody believe that this is going to be anybody other than Donald Trump? I mean, is there anybody out there who really believes that? He is so far ahead in every state. And it seems like the more negative news that comes out about him, his polls go up even more. I just don't see a pathway forward for anybody else to be a part of this. But at least tonight, we can stop talking polls and start talking numbers. I mean, actual voters who expressed an opinion. It really doesn't matter what the polls are, because you can poll a little bit of anybody. And depending on who you want to poll, you can make your numbers look how you want them to look. So the external polls that we see, and then you have the internal polls for the parties, are a lot of times night and day. There's going to be some sort of synergy with them, of course. But eventually, they just kind of play themselves out when we get to the the actual voting polls. And then we can see how people actually feel about it. So it's going to be fun. I, I'm done with all the other stuff, so I'm ready for that. 1,600 sites they're going to get to tonight. 1,600. Some of these places they're talking about are people's houses. And when it's 37 below wind chill factor, they say sometimes in these caucus things... Uh, people spill out into the outside. I don't want to be the guy standing outside. Man, if I didn't make it in, peace out. I'm I'm going home. I'm not standing out in 37 below wind chill factor waiting for somebody to let me in to voice my opinion. I mean, voting voting's important, but let's be honest. Uh, Frostbite is, is not the way to do it. You know, we can we can make this thing happen. And Iowa's track record from actually picking the people, it, it's pretty piss-poor to be honest with you. I mean. <laughs> They, they just don't get it right most of the time. Whoever wins typically ends up getting a really good uh, gig on one of the news stations so they can go talk about the fact of, I won Iowa, or I won New Hampshire. I, I got my butt kicked the rest of the way, and I didn't go on to win anything else. But hey, I, I got that. So Mike Huckabee's made a career of winning Iowa. It's been great. I mean, he, he was the governor of Arkansas, so... Good for you. You got your your daughter in there. You got your daughter as a press secretary. And now Sarah Huckabee Sanders is the governor of Arkansas. She's doing a great job, by the way, as the governor of Arkansas. But Mike's out there, you know, talking books about, you know, kids' books for why President Trump is awesome and uh, how you can sleep better. That's pretty much where he's at these days. And then they have him on all, time, all the time, and he makes a really good living just doing that. So winning Iowa could actually get you down the road to a really nice uh, financial income. But beyond that, who knows how it's going to go. So I'm excited to see where this thing is going to go. We have a packed show uh, today. Um, we're going to talk with the Missouri H- House Speaker, Dean Plocker. He's going to join us uh, coming up in just a little bit. Brad Young is a guy who always keeps his finger on the pulse of all of these lawsuits that are going on. And it seems like we just keep getting more and more and more and more lawsuits uh, it, go figure. Welcome to America. Did you think you had to be in an accident to sue? No, you just had to hear about an accident, and now you have a damage claim. That's right. You could get millions. Just call me Rao. You know, we'll we'll get you some money. I don't know how that's going to go. In the four o'clock hour, uh, Missouri Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe is going to join us. John Hancock is going to join us as well in the four o'clock hour, as uh, well as Will Sharp. He is uh, one of the Prosecutors are one of the, he is a former prosecutor. He is working on Donald Trump's team in D.C. Uh, Trump has more legal teams all over the country because people keep, you know, putting these lawsuits on him. But I'm amazed at how many of these attorneys are from Missouri. Who knew, right? Who knew that we had this many really great attorneys that were coming out of the state of Missouri? So, We're going to have Will on a little bit later on. Steve Malloy is going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour. We're going to talk a little bit about energy and environment. Um, You probably heard Annie and Brad talking before just about where we are with electric cars. And if we actually got to the point where the federal government wants us to get with electric cars, we would shut down our energy grid. We don't have that kind of electricity to actually execute the plan that they want us to execute. Doesn't it make you shake your head sometimes when you go, how flippin' stupid are these people? And then you go, how did we elect them? I mean, at the end of the day, they're in office because we put them there. I know some people probably shake their head at me and they go, yeah, I can't believe Elam actually got in. But every now and then, you you slip one through. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Ira Melman is going to join us uh, to wrap up the show. And we're going to talk a little bit about the border because it, it seems like... Um, it's just, come on in, ma'am. It, it didn't really matter where you're from. We're not checking. Uh, we're just going to bring you in, and then we're going to send you somewhere in the United States. It, you know, it's one of those kind of things where you're thinking, I don't have enough money because of Bidenomics to go on a nice vacation. You know, I'd like to go to L.A. I'd like to go to New York. I'd like to go to Chicago. But I really just can't afford to travel. So what do you do? Just go cross the border. If you cross the border, they'll ask you, where do you want to go? They'll check you in. Uh, throw your ID to the side before you actually come across. They'll check you in and they'll say, where do you want to go? And they'll give you a ticket. It's great. They'll put you up. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, they'll kick kids out of school to put you up in a school. How about that? You get free accommodations, free travel. This is a great deal. It's better than being a Marriott Rewards member. You're going to get free travel, free hotel. This is fantastic. All you have to do is just not be...
0: (sighs) You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. medella is your reward. medella the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly.
1: Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Citizen. I know. That's where we are these days. Anyway, we're going to talk to Dean Plocker on the other side. We appreciate you joining us on this Martin Luther King Day, uh, a full-packed show. My name is Mike Elam. And I appreciate you letting us be a part of your MLK Day on St. Louis's Home for Conservative Talk. It's 97.1 FM Talk. It's a Mark Reardon Show on 97.1 FM Talk. St. Louis is home for conservative talk. It is still cold outside. I'm, I'm already done with winter. We just started the new year. I'm already through with that. Thank God we're not in Iowa, though, because it is freezing, flipping cold in Iowa. Annie's uh, husband and son were here right before she got off the air. They went down and did the winter warm-up today. And God love being Cardinal fans who are just hardcore that you're willing to go down there And be a part of that. But it was a fantastic weekend, even with the weather, from what I understand, that they had a a ton of people who were down there. We are joined now by the Missouri House Speaker, Speaker Dean Plocker. Speaker, how are you today? Mike, great to be on today. A little bit chilly, but
2: otherwise a great day. Have you stayed warm over this weekend? Indeed. Worked on,
1: read a lot of bills, a lot of legislation, and uh, made a fire. (laughs) <laughs> and and then through all the stuff that you didn't want into that fire, I'm sure. I'm just kidding. Exactly, just there's kidding. a lot a lot of leftover paper there. But it was great <laughs> to sit by the fire and watch the Chiefs win. Hey, that was a good one. And uh, there's actually more football today, so you get a doubleheader of football because uh, Buffalo and Pittsburgh had to dig out in Buffalo under feet of snow. That's insane. Of of how and that's deep why no, that's no one going. really wants to live in upstate New York. That, yeah, I have no desire. I don't even want to live in Iowa after seeing all this of of everything going down. <laughs> how do you think today is going to play out in the Iowa caucuses? Do you have a, a prediction of what you expect is going to actually happen? You know, I mean, it, from what I can gather, and,
2: and really, I guess my information is probably no different than the, than the listeners here, is that it looks like really the spread is going to be by how much Trump wins, um, from what I can tell. Um, I was listening to 97.1 quite a bit today, and it seems that overwhelmingly Trump is going to carry the day. It's just by how much. So, uh, you know, I look forward to the presidential nominee coming up. I look forward to kicking Biden out of the White House and uh, moving forward, uh, protecting our borders and doing
1: all the things we need to be doing better. Well, you've got two weeks in to this new session. And obviously, every time you go into a new session, you have a ton of bills that I guess you started pre-filing bills, what, in December? Is that is that you can start
2: pre-filing December the 1st? And I think roughly, you know, I mean, it changes every day, of course, but we roughly we we probably have over eleven hundred bills filed right now. Wow. Eleven hundred. That's just in the House. I might add the Senate is his own animal and they file
1: bills over there, too. Well, so now you've done two weeks that you have in the can, so to speak. Of this particular session, how have things gone so far? Are they pretty much how you thought they were going to go? Did you, have you had any surprises so far? You know, I look at it this way: the beginning of session is maybe a little bit like training camp. You're getting
2: ready to debate the bills on the floor, send the bills over to the Senate, and have the Senate send bills over to us for debate. Um, so we're prepping the bills. We've referred about 200 bills out to the to the respective. Committees, uh, of course, they need to hear the bills. They need to vet the bills hear the debate for and against and figure out what they want to pass through the committee that would then be uh, put onto the house for, for further debate. So, just because a bill gets referred doesn't mean it, it makes it out of committee. And just it goes has to go through this process, and it's an arduous process. It's supposed to be. You don't want us passing 1,100 new laws, if you will. <laughs> and by the end of session, it will probably be closer to 2,000. So that's just way too many bills. But we are off to a good start. We're working hard. I created a special committee on property tax uh, reform, chaired by Brad Christ uh, down there in Sunset Hills. Yeah, good uh, we guy. also Yeah, we also had a great committee uh, workup this year. Uh, by Jim Murphy uh, for the earnings tax, particularly in the city that we're addressing. We're really looking at taxation because I, I think when you look at the liberals out there, they seem to want to tax us out of the American dream. And property rights and those types of things are imperative to, to getting a good
1: start, living a fruitful life in this world and getting a good education. Well, you're a St. Louis County guy, right? Yes. So you you just had uh, the state of the state from uh, the county executive that he just did his thing. And uh, he was talking about raising taxes in St. Louis County. You're breaking up up on me. But, yes, uh, you know, the the complaints I've received
2: on the property tax across the state are phenomenal. Um, So, you know, we have to pass with work with the Hancock Amendment when we pass tax increases at two and a half percent. So that has to go to the voters but yet our property taxes can go up upwards of 20, 30, 40% in one year. That doesn't seem right. So we're going to look at the assessment
1: process and the amount by which those taxes can increase. So that's going to go through committee. Is there is there any other bill priorities that you're really looking at that you want to get done today or this session? Well,
2: uh, the, the property tax is clearly the bill that, that we're looking at right now, but we're going to look at crime too. Um, you know, the, the crime, the growing crime rate in this area that's been going on for years seems to be coming down a little bit with greater prosecution. Um, and I, I commend Gabe Gore in the city for that and for sticking around uh, to run for reelection. Uh, we want to give him the resources he needs, but we have to we have to address crime. I mean, people need to feel safe when they're waiting for the school bus or when they're walking around shopping or going to a Cardinal game.
1: There's always the push and pull with the House where, like you were talking about, you guys have your 1100 that you filed already. The Senate's going to have their part of the bills that they're going to file. And uh, I guess as you go through the process, you're going to pass yours, send it over to the Senate. They're going to pass theirs, send it back to the House. and, And that's how the process works. Right. But it. Is there a time where you and the Senate president with Caleb Rowden get together? I
2: apologize. You're breaking up on me here. Apparently, we need to look at some utility reform, too, here. I have (laughs) Verizon, and you're breaking up, and uh, I'm into pairs, so there's no reason for that.
1: We're going to have to get you on T-Mobile. Is there a way that you and the uh, Senate, do you guys get together and work together on how you're going to go through session? I think we just lost him. So we're going to have to figure that part out. We'll try to get back with Dean and and try to work that out. Um, but I was just curious about the fact when you start looking at, um, how they go through this process, uh, it seems like the Senate has already started down the road that they're having a hard time of trying to figure out what's going to be their priorities. The Freedom Caucus has now started up and the Freedom Caucus has decided that, uh, They're going to have some priorities that they're going to make sure that the Senate follows. And they've said that they're going to try and make sure that they keep their priorities in line. And they're going to hold the Senate accountable this year for sticking with those particular uh, issues. Speaker, are you there? I am. I apologize. I don't know what happened. Uh, I'm uh, right by the West County Mall. There's no excuse for a drop call there. There's a, there's an awful lot of people at the West County Mall today. I guess they're they're willing in that. So I was just asking you about the fact: Do you and the Senate President get together and talk about what bills you want to work on together?
2: We do. Um, we we get together at least weekly, if not more. Um, and you know we we have a lot of common interest here. It's uh, we have different rules in the Senate, different rules in the House, so it kind of makes things a little bit
1: challenging sometimes. But we certainly we certainly work together. It seems like the Freedom Caucus uh, members who have who have stepped up have decided that they have their own priorities. And when you have a group like that that they step up and they say this is what we find. Uh, is going to be important to us. How does that affect the dynamics of either chamber and how that plays out?
2: Well, you know, people often say uh, leading the House is like herding 163 cats, and it (laughs) kind of is. Um, But, you know, the the Freedom Caucus, uh, the the conservatives, uh, we have so much in common. I I don't know why we can't kind of work together to get things done. I haven't seen the upheaval in the House regarding the Freedom Caucus, so I think we're trying to keep everybody together to pass legislation because – unless you're working together you're not going to get anything done. Um, Just creating a a bifurcating the, the conservative movement that we want to push here and why we have the majority is just not going to accomplish anything we really just need to work together. And, you know, I'm hoping and confident that we'll get that done. Uh, but I, I can't speak to what
1: the Senate's really trying to do over there. I sometimes scratch my head myself when they, they even <laughs> filibuster the journal. It, it does seem to be more of a Senate side than the House side. You don't hear about it as much over there. But this year is unique from the standpoint of so many people in both the House and the Senate are running for other statewide offices, you included. And I can't imagine what it's like being the leader of the House and herding 163 cats, if you will, and then trying to get across the state and run for lieutenant governor. That has got to be a challenge.
2: You know, actually, I don't, I don't think it is um, because, you know, while I'm not out there, we're actually traveling around the state, you know, touting a lieutenant governor's race. My job has been... To, to be a good speaker, to pass conservative legislation and to lead the House. And that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm to focus on doing. I have really four more months of this job and I'm termed out, right? Uh, unless we go into special session, which we may wind up doing that concerning some b- budgetary issues. But really, I just need to be a speaker for the people and pass conservative legislation, help the committees uh, get their, their bills assigned to them. And that's what really I've been focusing on. I don't think there's been a lot of talk about running for a statewide office from my my perspective yet, simply because I have a job to do. I feel like if I do my job well, then that will speak for itself
1: going going forward. We're talking with Missouri House Speaker Dean Plucker, and uh, it seems like more and more roles keep changing in terms of who's running for what, because uh, Blaine Luktemeier just said that he's not going to run for reelection election uh, with the House of Representatives in the U.S., and now you've got people who are relooking at races and trying to decide if, if they're going to go somewhere else. And you have a governor who is terming out as well. So he's done. I'm curious about how does that relationship between the, the leaders of the House, the leaders of the Senate, and a governor who's done. And, you know, Mike has said that he's not running for anything else. He's looking forward to getting back to the farm. Have you noticed a change in how the governor is approaching things this year?
2: I really haven't. I mean, you know, in terms of policy, um, we've, we've spoken, you know, with the executive branch for a long time. I think we're on the same page with doing a lot of things. Uh, foreign ownership of land, for example, we've attacked that last year in the House. I think they had a difficult time in the Senate, um, but we've worked with him on that issue. A lot of taxation issues the The only difference might be, and what we'll see going forward, we have a later than usual state of the state address, which makes things a little bit more difficult for the the legislative branches to put our hands on what the executive branch wants to spend so uh, when that happens. We'll have a better handle on where the governor wants to go with that because our budget's going to be a little bit tighter this year. Our consensus revenue estimates are flat, so we don't have that influx of cash. We also don't have the federal government, thank goodness, just dumping money on the states, which has only led to inflation. So we'll we'll have to prioritize how we're going to balance a good conservative budget and that's going to be at the forefront of all of our minds here going forward as we as we work on the budgetary process.
1: Well obviously the budget is the one thing you have to do right a balanced budget in the state of Missouri. Uh, where are you on the budget process? How is that going to start and, and when do you expect so we, to have that done?
2: We, we hope to have that done by spring break. It's a little ambitious. Um, we've routinely in the last few years gotten it out of the house a little bit after spring break. But we started meeting with the budget budget and subcommittee started meeting in December, and I think that was important to get our handle on on where we're at and where we're wanting to go, coupled with uh, adjustments that we have to make pursuant to how much federal money is coming in, and as I said, the flat consensus revenue estimate. So, um, no, I mean we're we're working heavily on that. The committees have been meeting since early December. So uh, the opportunity to get it out earlier, I think, is better this year. And I think that'll work. That'll serve everybody well.
1: It's got to be nice having a, a House budget chair who's going into is his, his sixth year that, that he's actually chairing the budget. Well, you know, Cody's been the budget chair. Cody Smith from Carthage has been the
2: budget chair now for six years. And uh, we came in together. And, uh, you know, I know he's running statewide, too, uh, against Vivek Malik, our treasurer. Uh, but, I mean, again, I, w- I would, you know, job is to serve everybody in the House right now, not to run for statewide office. We have to do our job first, and that is serve diligently in the House, pass a conservative budget, pass conservative legislation. That's really all I'm focused on. And I and I can't speak for my colleagues, but I believe that's where our focus is.
1: I was just saying, I was thinking it would make it easier for you to do the budget, having a guy with that much experience to where you guys kind of know as a team, as a budget team, what you want to do, what are going to be the priorities. This is really, if I understood, this is the last year for all the big federal money that's supposed to hit. Is that, is that true? Or did I misunderstand that?
2: Now you broke up on me a little bit there, Mike, but, uh, You know, I think the experience that we have in the House is good. Uh, It it definitely helps us. Lincoln Huff is, is, you know, the budget guru over in the Senate. He's got some years under his belt as well. He also served with us in the House for a little bit. I think the the state's well-situated for understanding the money. It's just I I do worry and I want to be conservative with how we're allocating our resources just just because we all know the rainy day is coming, it never, never doesn't come. And when we have a lot of money and we have had a lot of money in the last several years, I think we need to allocate it prudently. And I think we need to leave a couple
1: of bucks in the bank here so that when things go south, we're well taken care of as a state. Well, Mr. Speaker, I'm going to let you go because I appreciate the phone issues that we've had today. But thanks for your uh uh, patience and getting through this, and thanks for working through the issues. I hope you stay warm. You enjoy the rest of your MLK, and you have a very productive week in Jefferson City this week. Mike, thank you so much, and I'll be watching the Iowa caucuses here. You have a great day. You too. That is Missouri House Speaker Dean Plucker. Uh, no idea what's going on with the phones, but there you go. This is why I went from Verizon to T-Mobile. I got rid of my problems, and, and we worked it out that way. Hey, we were going to talk to Brad Young on the other side. If you haven't heard. President Trump has been involved in a couple legal issues. I know it probably snuck under your radar. You probably haven't heard much about that. Nobody's really been talking about it. Brad is up to date on pretty much all of this. We're going to catch him up on the other side. Uh, The Iowa caucuses are starting at about 7 o'clock tonight. We are going to have some preview coverage that starts at 6 uh, with Brett Baer, uh, Martha McCallum. So stick around with us after we finish that. My name is Mike Elam sitting in for Mark Reardon today. Hope your MLK is doing well on St. Louis's Home for Conservative Talk, 971 FM Talk. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? It's the Mark Burton Show. My name is Mike Elam. Sitting in for Mark. Hope your MLK Day is going well. It is Iowa Caucus Day. We are finally at that point where people are going to start actually saying how voters feel about these particular candidates. We have got Brad Young on the line with us. Brad, how are you, sir?
3: Mike, it's uh, it's great to talk to you as always, my friend.
1: Man, it's always fun when you join because you're such a well-informed guy. How are you looking at, at these caucuses? What are you thinking about today?
3: Well, the real question on these caucuses at this point, Mike... Is an issue of who's going to come in second. Now, <laughs> if, if if you watch if you watch the networks, uh, they're all talking about this as a blowout for Trump, and it is. There's there's we haven't seen a, a primary blowout like this uh, perhaps in modern electoral history. But we also have to remember that there is a there is a long list of Iowa tombstones on the road to the White House. I mean, for example, uh, just in the last, uh, I believe it was in twenty. 16, I think Rick Perry won Iowa. And, you know, he's never been president. So uh, before that, there's, again, a long list of people who have won Iowa, but didn't necessarily translate that into winning the nomination. Now, I'm not suggesting that Trump doesn't have a lot of support. He certainly does. Uh, but simply winning Iowa in of itself is, is certainly no guarantee uh, historically or even anecdotally of winning the actual nomination particularly when you look at all of Trump's legal problems the various uh, civil and criminal cases that are going to be going to trial before uh, the uh, before the Republican convention i mean obviously this is a primary like no other you know
1: when you look at all of those particular lawsuits it seems like Every time Trump gets charged, his numbers go up. Like, people just look at this whole thing that it, it's it's all a sham. Uh, I mean, New York, in, in one particular case, there's no victim. Like, no one lost any money. Right. No one committed any crimes that I think we know of. But yet, they're going out and they're finding ways to just charge him. But it seems to continue to just build the brand and build the narrative of... Look, it's one set of issues for the Democrats. And then if you're Donald Trump, there's a whole other set of rules that you have to play by Mm -hmm. that nobody else has to play by. There's no question, Mike, that that's the situation here.
3: Uh, But as I break down legal issues, I try to exclude the, the personalities involved. And I simply look at the evidence, look at the law and see how it's applying. So when you look at all of these Trump issues, legal issues, some have merit others do not uh for example the uh the the case in new york i don't believe has merit will will the conviction in the civil case has already occurred i mean the the judge in the civil case uh has already ruled in favor of the state of new york so this entire trial is simply about assessing damages it's not about liability it's about damages uh, and, and I think up on appeal, there's going to be some very serious questions about that. But if you look at the case regarding the documents from Mar-a-Lago, I think that is a valid case. Uh, he uh, refused to comply with the subpoena. The evidence uh, that's there in Mar-a-Lago in Miami shows that he, at least the evidence shows, that Trump directed individuals on his team, including his legal team, to withhold documents from a federal subpoena that is a clear-cut violation of the law. If I do that, if I did that tomorrow, if I get a subpoena from my opponent and my client tells me, hey, Brad, you know what? We're not going to produce those documents. Let's just hold off on, on documents A, B, and C and just produce the rest of the documents. Not only could my client go to jail for that, but I could go to jail for that. So that is a legitimate. Uh, legitimate legal issue. And so that's why each of these, Mike, have to be discussed in isolation. You can't simply say they're all fraudulent, nor can you say they're all valid and they all have merit. Each one is distinct.
1: I guess the only caveat to that is if you're Hunter Biden, because if you're (laughs) Hunter Biden, you can just thumb your nose at at whoever you want and feel like you're going to get away with it. What did you think? I mean, we have gone through a whole soap opera of just what Hunter Biden has done in the last month, where he yeah. showed up and announced that he's not going in, and then he got back in his uh, his SUV and drove away. Then they're holding the contempt trial, or or I guess considering holding in, in contempt, and he walks in and sits down there and basically just flips the bird to the Republicans in the House. I yes. mean... And but now supposedly he is gonna sit down? I mean, I'm I'm yeah. lost in this story now. <laughs> well, l- let me try to clarify
3: it for you, Mike. There there's a there's a slight difference between the subpoena that comes from Congress and a subpoena that comes from the courts. Little difference. Here's a here's a uh uh con law class one oh one here. There you go and that is a congressional subpoena, Congress doesn't have the power to enforce a subpoena. They only have the power to issue it. In order to enforce it, it has to go over to the Department of Justice for enforcement. So in this case, and this has always been the case, whether it was going all the way back to the Iran-Contra situation, where Congress was subpoenaing individuals, and they always refused to to comply at first because— Congress can't enforce it. You know, there's they're not going to send the congressional, uh, 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 the, the guy that runs the the security division at Congress, he's not going to go out with an SUV and a shotgun and force someone to comply. He doesn't do that. Okay. <laughs> that so, would be interesting, though. It would be fun to see. Yeah. It would be. I'd pay money for that. It's a, you know, it's a congressional <laughs> security smackdown. I would pay for that. That would but, be good. But, But in reality, that's not what happens. So everyone always defies them at first, but then later they comply because there are mechanisms in place to enforce those subpoenas. It just takes a lot of time. So that's a long winded way of saying what you saw was Hunter Biden playing on the idea that that Congress couldn't enforce it. He was playing for the cameras, he was playing for the PR and then later we've seen reports, we don't have it confirmed, but it's been widely reported that he's now conceded that he will comply because, and again, I know these are detailed questions, Mike, but but it really becomes a pickle for uh, President Biden because if this goes over to the Department of Justice, to enforce the congressional subpoena. Now it's a conflict of interest for the Department of Justice because of Hunter Biden's relationship to his father. And then you'd have to go to a special counsel to enforce the subpoena. It becomes
1: extremely messy and he doesn't want that to happen. But who gets to appoint the special counsel at that point? Isn't that Merrick Garland who gets to do that? At
3: this point, it is. And that's the problem with the special counsel as opposed to what was previously known as an independent counsel. Those two th- terms are not synonymous. They they operate the same way. They look the same. They're like two different kinds of ducks that are a different uh, genus, but the same <laughs> species. Okay. And that is that uh, an independent counsel has to come from an act of Congress, whereas a special counsel is appointed by the Department of Justice. It still has a little bit of an appearance of impropriety, but at least a special counsel is different than Merrick Garland because this, the the special counsel truly doesn't uh, uh, isn't accountable to anyone. Uh, they can operate independently, even though they're not technically independent.
1: But at the end of the day, you have a Justice Department that works with the president. So the president, couldn't the, the president just lean on Merrick Garland? Of course, he's not going to do this out in the open. And they're all going to deny that these conversations ever happen. But they deny the fact that they've been working with the prosecutors who are bringing charges against Trump. But yet there seems to be a lot of evidence that we'll talk about a little bit later on today uh, that that seems to be the White House is working with the prosecutors. But if Biden decides to lean on Garland and say, uh, don't enforce this, what are the ramifications of that? Because there's there's really nothing to make the Justice Department enforce the subpoena, is there?
3: Boy, that's a great question. And that's why I think at the end of the day, it, it would look really bad if Merrick Garland drags his feet on anything regarding Hunter Biden, because it's obvious why that's happening. So in order to avoid that appearance of impropriety, That's why I believe at the end of the day, as it has been widely reported, that you will see Hunter Biden agreeing to comply with the congressional subpoena because he doesn't want to put his father in the position of having to have another special counsel appointed because it just looks bad. I mean, even if there's no fire there, there is a whole heck of a lot of smoke. And so I, I don't think at the end of the day you'll see Hunter Biden putting President Biden in that situation.
1: You know, as as I look through this situation and you have a law degree, I have a communications degree Two completely different minds here. Right. So so play along with the uh, the radio kid. Right. So as I look at this, I'm thinking the Democrats are playing. Well, Biden in particular is playing the let's stretch it out game, because at the end of the day, if he can get this past the election, win or lose. He's going to be able to take care of Hunter. He's going to be able, if if Hunter gets convicted or Hunter doesn't get convicted, well, if, if, if Biden wins or Biden loses, it doesn't matter. Because if Hunter Correct. does get convicted, then Biden's going to be able to pardon him. And he could make all of this stuff go away. I mean, it's obviously, it, it's going to look horrible. And it's going to completely tank uh, any reputation that he would have for the rest of his life, but he talks about the fact that he's willing to do whatever he needs to do to take care of his son because he loves his son. That's his play. This could get really ugly by the time we get to the end of this year, couldn't it? Yeah,
3: I I think it's a foregone conclusion, Mike, no matter what happens in the election, uh, that that Hunter Biden will get pardoned because if Biden wins, he's still going to pardon him because I, I don't think that President Biden has any intention of serving a second term, he's going to resign and then allow Kamala Harris to become the next president. Right. If he wins. So either way, he can pardon Hunter and then step aside. If he loses uh, the same thing, he has that period of time between the end of the election and January uh, 6th uh, or January 20, I think, is actually when it happens. The swearing in happens that he could uh, pardon Hunter and then exit the office. So either way, Either way, Hunter Biden skates on the federal charges because he's going to get a a presidential
1: pardon. We're talking with Brad Young. I got a couple of minutes here. I just want to kind of play this out uh, from your standpoint. Where do you think we're going to end up in terms of these primaries that are that are coming? Do you think that Biden is actually going to make it to the ballot in November or do you think somewhere along the line they're going to put a replacement in for him?
3: i i've i've said over on camo x i've said it right here on 971. i do not believe that president biden will be on the ticket in november i, I just don't. agree with you uh, i don't and it's not some conspiracy theory it's not that i'm believing pizzagate or you know whatever it is <laughs> i'm just looking at the poll numbers and i'm saying look uh if there's a chance that biden cannot beat trump or haley because the polling data shows either one of them right now beating biden right um uh, Uh, At this point, when the polling data gets too bad, he's going to step aside. And and no one, no one, and let me emphasize, no one is looking for Kamala Harris to be the next presidential candidate. It's going to be Gavin Newsom. And so if
1: it looks like Biden can't win, he's going to step aside. I would think it's got to be that way. I just don't see him being able to make it. I mean, when ABC is putting out a poll that says he has a 33% approval and 28% think he's mentally competent, and that's an ABC poll. When when that's happening, exactly. it, it's just not going to be pretty. Hey, Brad Young, thanks for taking some time, and thanks for coming on with us today. It's always good to have the intelligent folks clear up all these legal questions. <laughs> Mike, it's always a pleasure, my friend. That is Brad Young. I appreciate the time, man. And when we come back on the other side, we are gonna to talk to Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe. He is running for governor for the state of Missouri. We will catch up with him on the other side of this break. My name is Mike Elam, and for Mark Reardon today on St. Louis's home for conservative talk, 97.1 FM Talk.